The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. With the new season now just days away, we're back to talk all the big news from SW6. On today's show, Chelsea at the Euros, pre-season lessons, plenty of transfer tittle-tattle and a bit more besides. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Hello listener, hope you summered well. Uh, Matt Davis-Adams here again for the new season, joined by The Athletic's Chelsea experts. Hello Simon Johnson. Hello. Hi Liam Toomey. Don't call it a romback. Hello, hello. <laughs> Very good. And Dominic Fifield's with us too. Hi, Dom. Oh, I'm already lost. What's going on? <laughs> uh, it already feels like a lifetime ago. In fact, it's only mere weeks since Euro 2020 concluded. Plenty of Chelsea involvement, so I thought we'd have a quick chat about how some of the Blues got on. In terms of winners and losers, obviously, Jorginho and, and Emerson very much in the former category. Um, Simon, I like Jorginho, but I was a little perplexed about all this Ballon d'Or talk. Are you are you having that? No, um, <laughs> I, I think he's I think he's had a good 2021, but it, it just sort of seems that uh, people are getting a little bit carried away with uh, all the Ballon d'Or talk. I mean, if if I was going to give it to a Chelsea player, it'd still be Angelo. Oh, hold on. Wait a second. <laughs> Still a Chelsea player, yeah, by the It's way. a new season, Dom, a new start. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's been... Uh, but even then, I, I sort of just think, you know, Ballon d'Or talk is... There, there's an element of bias that uh, you notice with, uh, with Chelsea sort of fans. Understandably, sort of thinking that a Champions League winner and a European Championships winner should get should get the award. But Giorgino, look, he's, he's done well, but... Is he the best player in Europe? Has he been the best player in Europe? I, I don't think so. I think he should be very happy just having two medals in his in his locker. Quite. Same for Emerson. He had a lovely old time, didn't he? Just played in the semi in the final. Twice as many games at the Euros than he did for Chelsea in the Premier League last season. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this as a voting member of the FWA, but individual awards are a bit silly, aren't they? Yes, really. in a team sport. Unless right. you're just going to give it to Lionel Messi every single year, you have to kind of get creative and pretty subjective with your reasoning. Uh, I've also got Mason Mount as a winner, probably just about. I think he, he cemented his, his place as one of the first names on the England team sheet. What about Billy Gilmore, Dom? He had that, that I was going to say, man of the match, UEFA star performer or whatever you would call it. But then he got the Rona. So is he a winner? He did well in, in that in that game. I think he probably showed enough to... Well, he certainly would have started the the third match had it not been for, for COVID-19. Um and I think he's probably cemented himself in Steve Clark's plans for the for the future to be an integral part of that Scottish team because he was excellent that night at Wembley. I mean, he was absolutely fantastic and the energy and, and the way the Scots performed that. I and mean, that was the highlight of their tournament, obviously. But it was it, they did perform very, very, very creditably that that evening. So, so yeah, I'd definitely have him down in the in the winning um, category. He would have been frustrated to have only made the the one appearance. Is Norwich a good move for him, Liam, do you think? And it feel like stylistically it will suit him, but I worry he might get a touch of the Ampadus and just be playing in a team that loses every week. Well, we'll have to see, won't we? But I think at least style-wise, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I was, I was doing a bit of reporting around the time that the Gilmore was weighing up his options and Norwich distinguished themselves because 
Thomas Tuchel was very actively involved in where Gilmore would go for the next stage of his development and his relationship with Daniel Farker, the fact that they kind of see the game in quite similar ways in terms of principles of play and everything. Norwich also have a double six in midfield. These were all very big factors in Chelsea, Tuchel and ultimately Gilmore deciding that Norwich was the best place for him. So I, I'm looking forward to, to to seeing him play once the real football starts. I think he's already made one pre-season appearance for, for Norwich and and made a pretty good impression. So I, I think he's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to lose more games than they win. That's, that's just the reality of a team new to the Premier League, but I think he'll get plenty of reps and plenty of chances to, to show his quality. Other Chelsea Euro winners I had down were Andreas Christensen, who got to the semi and scored an actual goal, and it was a beauty. And uh, Cesar Azpilicueta, who managed to work his way into the Spain team, and he got a goal too against Mateo Kovacic's Croatia. In terms of losers, the big one that stood out to me, Dom, was was poor Ben Chilwell. Uh, he had to isolate, obviously, which which meant he, he lost the chance of playing in one game. But I thought it was a little bit mean of Gareth Southgate to bring on Kieran Trippier against Ukraine when he could have just given Chilwell a little run out. Yeah, I agree with you on that. That was that was the opportunity to give him some minutes on the pitch to 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 make him feel as if he was part of um, the tournament proper. I mean, he would have he would have played a, a role very much within the um, preparations for, for games, etc. But he ended up a victim of of Luke Shaw's revival. I mean, I don't think any England supporter would quibble over. Shaw is one of the players of the tournament. He was excellent, and and ultimately that that's what cost Chilwell minutes on the pitch. I mean, there was a logic in I suppose there was a logic in in picking Trippier for the first game um, against Croatia at the expense of either left footed uh, wing backs stroke full backs just for his experience and for the the, the dead ball delivery. But um, yeah, I agree with you against Ukraine. That was the opportunity just to give Chilwell a cap. Um, at a major finals, um, but his chance will come. He's a he's he's young still. He's he's got plenty of quality, and he had a fantastic season in the end last year. So, so no massive drama there. Uh, and for Ben Chilwell, Liam Reed Reese James. I know he he played against Scotland, but we wondered if he might be a, a stick on for for England. And in the end, he was a, a peripheral figure. Yeah, it was a disappointing one for James, especially looking like he you know he was he was gaining in a little bit of momentum in, in some of the pre-tournament matches in, in Gareth Southgate's thinking and obviously finishing Chelsea's season as strongly as he did. And then there was also the, you know, the, the kind of off-field noise, which might have been a little bit destabilising for him about Chelsea going after Ashraf Hakimi. So it was a bit of a strange summer, but I think from Chelsea's perspective, he got enough rest, <laughs> didn't play too much football, so he, he, he should be able to um, hit the ground running in the new season and uh, and I'm sure Thomas Tuchel will be expecting big things from him. And he's got a big old tattoo of the Champions League trophy on his massive calf too. Uh, finally, Simon, what about your pal N'Golo? He was pretty good in terms of his individual performances, but but France, I mean, goodness me, they, they ought to have got a lot further than they did. Well, they, 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 they were involved in arguably the game of the tournament. I mean, the football they played against Switzerland for a period there was was some of the best we saw in the in the whole thing. But then they fell apart. Um, we saw in Paul Pogba him give an absolute masterclass at one point. But also I think he was at fault for one of the goals. I think he gave the ball away, which was, which was a classic Paul Pogba. But Kante was brilliant and he has been throughout 2021. And that's why I sort of talked at the start about 
about uh, if there was to be a Ballon d'Or winner from from Chelsea, it would be him because he's just bizarrely he sort of seems to be getting better with age. Uh, if only we could all say that. Um, <laughs> he he, um, he he really has. Oh, well, hopefully he's got over all his injury issues, and that's a sign that. Uh, a really positive sign for Chelsea that if he can take this form that he showed for France into the next season, the form that he showed in the Champions League, with him fully fit, any side becomes one of the best sides in Europe. Shoving all those criticisms down your throat. (laughs) (laughs) Probably what motivated him. Uh, Anyway, that was the Euros. Everyone involved now back at Cobham. Not everyone has featured in pre-season. We'll have a look at how Chelsea have got on in their warm-up games next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, on Wednesday, Chelsea took part in some top-level trolling as they paraded the European Cup in front of the Stamford Bridge faithful and Europa League Conference hopefuls Spurs. The teams then played out a 2-2 draw. That followed Chelsea's 2-1 win at Arsenal on Sunday, a 2-1 victory against Bournemouth and a thumping of Peterborough in a behind-closed-doors game too. Uh, Simon, (laughs) one of the main themes I took from these matches is Things like, oh, Danny Drinkwater, Baba Rahman, Ross Barkley, these players are all still contracted to Chelsea. <laughs> it's um, it's the only time of year that you ever see them. Do, do you think any of them have, have got any chance of, of getting into the first-team squad? Zappacosta, Batshuayi, you can chuck all these kind of names into. Yeah, I want Danny Drinkwater to play instead of Conte. I take everything <laughs> I said just back. I think uh, his first-half performance against Bournemouth, where he was just pinging balls left and right, was a masterclass. Conte can't do that. Get him out of the team. Uh, no, I. the only reason a lot of these players will stay is because Chelsea can't get rid of them. Um, it is arguably a, a harder job than Chelsea have had in signing Haaland because there, there isn't that much money in the global game and these guys are on huge wages and also don't exactly have a great momentum on their side in terms of the way they're playing. Um, I can see lots of loans for them, um, but even then Chelsea are going to have to uh, perhaps chip in with some of the wage, wages. Um, Loftus-Cheek, we'll sort of see if he can perhaps get in the squad, but is that the best thing for him? Because he's at that age now, he's 25. He's really sort of getting to that point where he needs to just sort of for his own benefit, either move permanently and get regular first-team football because I just can't see him getting that at Chelsea now. 
Sion Liam, do you envisage any situation where Chelsea would almost pay these players to leave? And I'm including Loftus-Cheek in, in that because there's nobody out there at the moment at the level that he's likely to get regular game time at who's going to be able to afford his, his wage package as it stands. So it may well be that Chelsea have to supplement if they if they want to shift him off the off the books, any of these guys off the books. Would that happen? Do you think that's feasible? I don't think it fits anything about the way Chelsea operate. No. Um, even Even when they haven't been able to sell these players in previous summers, they've just loaned them out bank the loan fee and whatever percentage of the wages they can get off the books for a year and then rolled the situation on by another 12 months. It's going to be harder to do that this time because I think it could be quite difficult even to loan these guys. I don't I don't think there are a lot of clubs even thinking they can they can stretch to covering the wages um let alone a loan fee. So there are going to be some very difficult decisions for Marina Granovskaya to make in the next few weeks. Thomas Tuchel mentioned after the game against Tottenham that he had 42 players in the first team building at Cobham on Monday, which is just absurd. Uh, When you think back to the day after the Euros final, when Chelsea had a lot of representatives in the latter stages of that tournament and they had 28 players to work with Tuchel on on day one of pre-season, it's crazy how many footballers Chelsea have of, of varying stripes and, and um, career paths. And it just feels like they've kind of been left with this group now, that now that the, the transfer market has kind of collapsed in on itself. And uh, and yeah, they, they might, I don't know, they might have to make some really tough decisions when it comes to people like Mishy Bashwai and Danny Drinkwater only have a year left. Do you effectively give them free transfers? But I don't, I don't see it for someone like Loftus-Cheek, no. I, I think that's sort of one of the things that Tuchel's been kind of well forced to do. It's not like he wants to do it, um, just because of the nature of the pre-season. That the, the pre-season friendlies have kind of been like a one of those sort of television sales, you know, the, you know television <laughs> sale channels. You know, oh, look, look, we've got a, we've got a drink water here. We've got a drink water. <laughs> Free postage and packing yeah, on, uh, yeah. on Ross Barkley for the next twenty-four. Yeah, hours. look what he could do. I mean, <laughs> unfortunately for Timo Bakayoko. You know, he deserves a little bit of benefit of the doubt because he hasn't played any minutes at all pre-season. But let's just say that uh, that sale pitch didn't go down too well against Spurs. But yeah, that it, it's been a really difficult pre-season for Tuchel. But the best thing that could have happened in that because of all these Euros players sort of being away on holiday, he's had no choice but to, to pick and work with these guys and try and put them in the display cabinet. But we'll see if anyone shows any interest. I can see also a lot of one-year contract extensions going on before players leave on loan because I just can't. I just don't think release on a free is in uh, Marina Granovskaya's uh, vocabulary. Even that is bizarre, isn't it? You're just prolonging the agony with some of these guys by giving yeah, them another year. Yeah, absolutely. I also just think there's there's a fundamental miscalculation, not just from Chelsea, but from quite a few big clubs of just thinking that a player under contract is always an asset. Yeah. They're not. If they if they have negative value, which some of these Chelsea players do, by giving them an extra extra year, you're just creating another problem for yourself. Uh, we'll talk later when we get to our transfer chat about about how some of these also runs are, are affecting the club's ability to keep some of their academy players. But Liam, you and I were were both at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night for the 
the draw against Spurs. But for anybody who missed it, give us a brief match report. Well, I thought you were a little bit generous with your description of a trophy parade. Um, <laughs> Chelsea brought the Champions League trophy out to the centre circle. Cesar Piliqueta lifted it a few times. Uh, they they clapped the fans and then walked straight back off. I know there were a few fans a bit disappointed, actually, that there wasn't more to it than that. Obviously, COVID played its part. But um, there was a very pre-season feel to the game itself. Lots and lots of substitutions, as Simon mentioned, Lots of shop windowing going on for certain players. I thought Chelsea were actually quite good in terms of intensity in the first half. The first half team was a, a more serious team than the second half team, definitely. And um, Hakim Ziyech looks like he's he's got his shooting boots on. Chelsea will will hope that carries on when the when the the real football begins. Timo Werner scored a, a perfectly good goal, ruled out incorrectly for offside. So we're well and truly back. <laughs> to uh, to Chelsea as we know and love, Kante was magnificent. Looked like he's never been away. Looked like he's. Uh, I, I tweeted. I thought he'd just spent his whole post Euros holiday doing shuttle runs. I don't think he does downtime. He looked in, in in incredible shape. And second half, the combinations all got screwed up. Chelsea's structure looked very very strange. Bakayoko and Saar, I thought, looked particularly. And, and Tottenham, I think. Tottenham had fewer of those players that we're talking about at Chelsea that are kind of a career crossroads on the pitch and that really showed they've, they finished the game much stronger. Um, but it was just, I think, quite a fun, entertaining pre-season game. You can never draw too many conclusions about where a team is at from games like this, but in terms of individual players, as Simon said, these are important moments for these guys because the ones that aren't trying to get moves elsewhere are trying to, to impress Tuchel. And I th- I thought um, Trevor Chalobah, it's worth mentioning him um, because he played quite a lot of minutes, lasted deep into the second half. And I thought he he looked very, very good. Um, and Tuchel spoke well of him afterwards. He he knows him from Lorient. And by all accounts, he's made a, a positive impression in this preseason. Yeah, started against Arsenal too. Uh, Simon, you wrote for The Athletic about Callum Hudson-Odoi and, and how this is a, a big opportunity for him actually getting a full preseason under his belt. I, I'm guessing... Christian Pulisic, Hakim Ziyech come into that category too as, as people who've been back at Cobham from day one and therefore they've got the ideal opportunity to, to get themselves in the starting lineup for for the Super Cup and for, for Palace next Saturday. Yeah, for sure. It's been a good pre-season for all three of them. Perhaps Pulisic... I think the question mark is who gets the right wing-back role. I don't think it suits either Pulisic or, or Hudson-Odoi. They're they're better suited as if you're going to play them as a as a wing back. They're better suited on the left. So there's a bit of a, a scrap on for that position, um, a, a position they'll struggle to hold on to a little bit once Ben Chilwell is up to speed. But I think Hudson Adoy in particular has looked very very sharp. He's come back having had a a, a positive summer. His first summer off since before he broke into the the first team squad uh, back under. Well, back in 2018. And I just like the way we're starting to see him take on players again, uh, particularly in the Arsenal game, not so much in, in the Spurs game. But on the left-hand side, a few Arsenal players went, uh, I think I'm still trying to figure out which way he went because uh, he, he led them a merry dance. And I do think uh, there's still this chat that, that Chelsea will look to sell him or, or are keen to sell him, but that, that's certainly not the impression that we're getting that... Um, I think 
it's an important season for him because he, he's 20 now. He's been on the scene for a few years. It's time that he sort of shows that that contract was given to him for a reason. But I'm not getting the vibe that that uh, Chelsea are looking to sell him. And, and uh, let, let's hope we get to see the best of Hudson-Odoi now. Uh, before we move on from pre-season, Dom, a couple of people have been in touch with me saying they, they don't like top six teams playing each other in pre-season games, to, to which my answer has been, well, they usually just do it in America or in Asia. Is is that something that, that particularly bothers you? Is it is it a more useful exercise than, I don't know, playing Dulwich Hamlet or AFC Wimbledon? I'm afraid I'm a bit cynical when it comes to, to drawing too many conclusions at all about, about pre-season fixtures, whoever you're playing, whoever the opposition is. Uh, I think these are generally fitness exercises, basically. Um, or, you know, as Simon points out there, you'd be putting people in the shop window in a desperate attempt to move them on. Um, countless games, yeah, you're right, covered in pre-season tours in the States in particular against, you know, against other other elite Premier League sides over the years. And I, I don't think we've ever come away from them thinking that's going to influence anything that happens in the season proper. And just because they're, they're, they're taking place in this country now gives them a slightly odd feel, but that's the circumstances of the moment and the, and pandemic life, et cetera. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much. It's even, even in this sort of congested preseason that we've got at the moment squeezed in between major tournament Olympics and, and Premier League season beginning, you do get a bit of preseason fatigue and friendly fatigue. You just want the real stuff to start. You just, this, this, none of this means anything. It's all nonsense, really. Um, it's you just you just want the competitive fixture and and thankfully we've got one of those coming up in a few days' time with Chelsea. I think also you have to you have to bear in mind that normally there'd be a glamorous pre-season tour abroad, as I think Dom sort of was mentioning that, and Chelsea would go off and play Barcelona in in LA or whatever. Well, we're in a COVID time still, um, so the best Chelsea could do was do something domestically, and therefore you're left with playing the best, well, not the best, we're talking Tottenham and Arsenal here, uh, but you're, you're looking at some of the better teams on a domestic front to play against. Otherwise, as you're referring, Matt, you know, you could be ending up playing like a forest. Uh, and it... <laughs> oh, dear. That's, a bit That's so unnecessary. Uh, I'll be a wow. bit cheeky. Um, uh, no change wow. there then. No, um, but you know what I mean, that's... Uh, Chelsea are better off playing a team that that can sort of perhaps give them a game, Matt. Sure, yeah. I mean, same matter European Cups, but one was 40 years ago, one was a couple of months ago. Right, that's pre-season. Let's talk some transfers next. We'll start our transfer chat with deals that have actually happened. I don't think we need to spend that much time on Marcus Bettinelli. Uh, he's coming in to be the third choice goalkeeper, and I'm sure he'll have a, a lovely old time. Now he's being disrespectful, Matt. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Is he going to play in the Carabao Cup? Is that just to the floor? Or yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, probably, probably not. not. <laughs> um, he'll he'll probably inherit the uh, Rob Green mantle. Um, if he ends up being, if he ends up having a moment like the hero of Baku, he'll have done well. Um, but in the meantime, I think his job is just to be a good teammate and a you know a, a popular guy and a professional day to day at Cobham. He is a good signing, like you know, relatively. He's only twenty nine years old. Counts as a homegrown, which I think one has to sort of there's significance in that. But he's a good goalkeeper. He had a very good season on loan at Borough last season, so it's not like you know he's just some 
sort of part-timer that Chelsea have got to fill a spot on the bench. Like, I think he'll do a good job and I think he will get game time, perhaps a Champions League dead rubber. The, the awkward thing is, of course, the spare games, M- Mendy's going to start the majority of them, but any sort of spare game, clearly Kepa's going to be given another chance to shine. So it, it is a situation Tuchel's going to have to man-manage. It's on about a third of the wage that the previous number three was on as well, so it's actually quite a shrewd little financial move. And he's homegrown. I've never really understood why Chelsea haven't made their third goalkeeper always homegrown because it's just such an easy win. Uh, I know Hilario and Eduardo were, were popular guys and had their own merits, but it's just, especially in the years they were struggling to get to eight homegrown players, it just it seems seems so easy to do. Uh, so that's the only incoming so far. The outgoings have caused a, a bit of consternation amongst the fan base. Um, not the old times like Olivier Giroud, uh, but but the young players who've moved on. Fakai Tomori, Mark Gerhi, Tino Liveramento, Lewis Bacon, Miles Per Harris. Uh, Dom, you spoke about the clogged pathway from academy to first team on the Athletic Football Podcast. That, by the way, is the new name for what was previously known as the Ornstein and Chapman shows. Is this a big issue for the club, do you think? Yeah, I think it is to be honest, and and it probably. I'm not. I'm not saying that every player that, that is developed by Chelsea's academy has a god-given right to, to force their way into the first team picture. That, that clearly isn't the case. Most of these guys will go on to have good professional careers, and that's partly what the academy is there to do. Um, they, some of them will will raise money. They got five million pounds for for Liveramento, um, which. Is a decent-ish fee. I mean, you could argue that he probably is going to be worth a bit more if he gets regular game time in the future. Um, but I, I, the frustration, I think, is born of the fact, harking a bit back to what we were saying in the previous section, that, that they've suddenly found their pathway to the first team blocked effectively by a load of players that have got no future at Chelsea. A load of players that are a legacy of poor transfer decisions made really in the middle of, of the last decade um, and around the time that Chelsea last won the Premier League title. I mean, the very fact that I think Ola Aina, Tarek Lamptey and Liv Romento have all been sold and, and they've been sold for less money than, than Chelsea paid for Zappacosta. And Zappacosta, when was the last time he made a competitive fixture, uh, paid a competitive fixture for, for Chelsea? I mean, he's still on the books. It's It's... It's staggering. I also find it very, very odd when you've got a load of centre-halves who are all into the last years of their contract and all with a certain amount of uncertainty over where their future lies beyond the end end of the forthcoming season. And Mark Gurhey, who, who a player of immense talent, Fikayo Tomori, a player of immense talent and potential, are both shifted and moved on. It just, that, to me, is a bit short-termist that decision um maybe Chelsea look at it and think well we've got we've got buyback options on these guys and money really isn't an object but that isn't really how Marine has been running the club in recent years that doesn't it's not they don't just chuck money they don't just write off money rather they don't just write off money willy-nilly at Chelsea anymore so I think it is an issue and I think I think it will wind an awful lot of people up and it must be a bit disheartening for those who are developing the talent in the Chelsea Academy to to see these guys frustrated and leaving in their droves. I mean, it's not that long ago that we were talking about Bate being, you know, a, a player that Chelsea could be building their future around. I mean, a player that's going to be a, 
a real talent in their midfield. On this podcast, we were talking about him, and now he's what one and a half million pounds to Leeds United. See, I see this slightly differently. I, I agree with you on on the centre backs, but if you look at Bate in particular, the people he's trying to get past are Kante, Jorginho, Kovacic, and Billy Gilmore. Take Drinkwater out of the situation; he's not going to get anywhere near any of those four for the time being. Per Harris, not sure he was ever going to be good enough to play for Chelsea, to be brutally honest. Livramento, yeah, Zappacosta you could put in that category, but he's also behind the club captain and another academy product in Reese James. So so I wonder... But the club captain has got a year left on his contract and and is he going to be playing right wing back for, for Chelsea in the in the season ahead or is he going to be playing right centre-half? Reese James has been playing right centre-half for Chelsea under Tuchel. He's also potentially behind Callum Hudson-Odoi, <laughs> at right wing back well, as well. You might be, but I mean, I don't know. I think you invest in your future. And if you, if you, the rave reviews we've heard about Livramento in the past and the rave reviews we heard and indeed spoke about on this podcast about bait would suggest to me that they would be players that would be handier to have on the books than, than Ross Barkley, Danny Drinkwater and the like. There's one other aspect to this, which is that if you look at the way Chelsea are navigating the transfer market, I think this is a reflection of them knowing they can't be too picky about who they sell. These are the players that clubs want to buy from them because they're young and they have a lot of resale value and Chelsea are trying to generate money to fund their own signings. So it's a it's a galling one for a section of the fan base, I know that, but there's also a big demand from the fan base for big-name signings and Chelsea always commit to funding signings partly through sales and at the moment they can't sell the Zappacostas, the Barclays but they can sell the Gerhys and the Livramentos even if for slightly smaller fees they do add up they've raised what about 60-70 million yeah yeah in this transfer window so far and it, it it's difficult I also think you've got to remember that it's not as if Chelsea didn't want to keep these players you know they did make contract offers but let this, in a way, give credit to the players hmm. because they've sat there and gone. It's exactly the points you were making, Doc, and, and, and Matt was. You know, look at the pathway. I know they've been criticised in some courts from Chelsea fans, going, "Oh, you know, look, compare their attitude to say like Brozier, who, who has signed a five-year deal." But I don't think you can blame a young player for looking at it, going, "Well, I could end up being another Lucas Pearson." Where where I just sort of come back every year, get loaned out, and and suddenly my my careers we're talking eight nine years later or however long he was on the books, so I, I think for example Lewis Bate, he's looked at it and gone, Billy Gilmore, who's another academy product, he's two years ahead of me, plus I've got the competition of the of the you know the the top international players, Billy Gilmore is going to basically play. One one suspects pretty much every week for Norwich, hmm. whereas Lewis Bate, who that, the club were telling him, oh oh you'll be you'll be around the first team squad. <laughs> it's like yeah great you know I'm I'm going to be playing the under twenty threes and perhaps training sessions, which is hey not bad for for an eighteen year old, but understandably he's looking at it going well Billy Gilmore's always going to be that one step ahead of me, plus Frank Lampard and Jody Boris aren't there anymore. The golden era, and I think we will increasingly look back on that, that 18 months as a golden era for academy players. And and there is an element as as good as Mason Mount is, Reese James is, etc. 
right time, right place syndrome. Um, because we've now got a foreign manager in charge again. Too cool. He's saying all the right things, but when push comes to shove, who's he going to go for? He's going to go for his own players, players that he wants to target. And and that's the other thing. Chelsea have money to burn. I think a huge message was sent out to Reese James, uh, let alone Livramento, mm. when Chelsea were pursuing Hakimi. It was like, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> Um, okay, the Hakimi deal didn't come off, but it, it sent out a huge message. Like, you've got players in that position, and yet you're still going after Hakimi. And uh, I think it's a player that, that, that Tuka wanted. So, I, I just sort of think that there is a there's a natural disappointment. I'm disappointed to see the likes of Gehi and and how you can let Tamori go, and at the same time Chelsea about to sign Jules Kunde or, or certainly trying to. It, there, there is a sort of a strange sort of business decision element to it, but Chelsea are looking for finished articles again now rather than players with potential. Don't get me wrong, Matt. I, I, I agree with you that a lot of these guys would have seen Chelsea youth team graduates ahead of them in 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 the first team, as as Simon's just mentioned, the Jameses, the the Mounts, that I mean, even Hudson Odoi, etc. That they are ahead of them as well, and and the fact that Chelsea have four, five first team graduates who will be very much a part of Thomas Tuchel's um senior squad this season is is encouraging and and should be celebrated but it does as Simon says there it does it, this this is a contradiction within every elite club that you've got a lot of people that want big money signings finished articles coming into the team and you've got an equally large number of people wanting youth team graduates with a bit of affinity to the club being developed and brought into the team as well. And it's it's painfully difficult to strike the right balance on that front. From from the player's perspective, as Simon said, I I often think that if if I ever had a son who was good enough to be in Chelsea's Academy and and you know one of the top prospects, I would probably treat it like a top school and just you know, make the most of the world-class facilities, the coaching, um, until the age of about 17 or 18, and then take a step back and really evaluate your options. Because, And that's what a lot of these players are doing. You can see it. They're a lot more streetwise, I think, than the players that came before them in terms of being aware of what could lie ahead. And as Simon said, I think they're, they're aware that you go on a couple of loans, you only need one bad loan, to set you back and you could get to 21, 22 and your options will never be as good again as they are at 18. If you're, if you're a Chelsea Academy graduate, particularly someone like Tino Livramento, Academy player of the year, look down that list. It's a really good list of players. You know, his, his options were great. Um, and Southampton's a great place for him, I think. And I think these players are looking at it and thinking, I've got, a great grounding now, one of the best academies in the world and one of the most coveted youngsters of my age group. Let me go somewhere where I can play, where a club's invested in me and then, you know, could come back to Chelsea. But if I come back to Chelsea, it'll be for starter money and with starter billing. Also, don't underestimate the the youngster sort of scene like a Tariq Lamptey who, who, who was offered a new deal, rejected it. It's a very brave move. And then, instantly Brighton first team um, and making huge impact. So that sent out a huge message as well to these kids like, oh, if I move somewhere, I'll get more of a chance. I can. For them, it's all about pathway, 
Premier League minutes, etc. Um, and they're going to have a great chance at doing it at a, at a Leeds or a Southampton than they are in this Chelsea team. <laughs> Chelsea are Champions League winners. It's it's a it's a very tough uh, team to get into. Somebody who is trying to get into it, or at least might be, is, is Jules Koundé. Simon, you've been covering kind of transfers coming in for the Athletic over the summer, Chelsea-related. What's what's the latest on him and Romelu Lukaku as we talk on Thursday morning? Um, Lukaku, I think, is, is... We'll talk first because I think he'll be in the door first. Um, it, it's been a remarkable turnaround in the, in the last week or so because Lukaku was making... And and he wasn't just sound bites for the sake of it. He meant what he said when he said, "I want to stay. I'm staying, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. He he loves being into Milan. He loves being the the sort of star of Syria. I think he sort of feels a little bit disrespected from his time in the Premier League. But if there's one club he'd come back to, it it would be Chelsea. You know, he came very close in 2017. Um, Chelsea, meanwhile, ha- have have been flirting with Haaland for a tedious increasingly tedious sort of six, seven months. If I still get asked about any Haaland news after Lukaku signed, I'm 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 gonna tear the the few hairs I have left out of my head. Um and and Chelsea have, have, have clearly woken up and gone, right, Haaland's not happening, we've got to sign someone and as much as Inter didn't want to sell Lukaku Essentially, they're going to give him an offer that uh, Inter Milan can't refuse. So I expect Lukaku to happen. Um, he himself has had a, a change of heart. I think Thomas Tuchel's presence at, at the club has been a key factor as well. And I think it's a really good signing. I've written a piece this morning because I'm aware that Chelsea fans, there is a section that are very sort of underwhelmed, which seems bizarre because his goal-scoring record is phenomenal. Um, even at United, where he was deemed to have failed, he scored like I think forty odd goals in ninety periods. It wasn't; it was far from being a flop. So yeah, it's just a case of agreeing a fee with Inter Milan. But in terms of Lukaku, he's he's told Inter he wants to leave, and and once that happens, it's it, we're in the end game. Uh, as for Kunde, um, I just think it's a case of Lukaku's become the priority. Uh, there is there's been a lot of talk about oh, it's all about Kurt Zuma and he's holding up. I, I've been assured, although you know things can change, that Chelsea will, will sign Kunde regardless uh, of what happens with the. It's almost like they'll get him done, and then whatever they can figure out with the players they have left, they'll, they'll figure out later on, sort of thing. I mean, ideally, Zuma would go the other way as part of it, but it's been well documented. I think he's happy in London and, and doesn't fancy that at the moment. But yes, I, I still think Kunde will get done and. He's a he's a player that that Chelsea sort of see going slightly touching on the youth department um, that they see as the finished article. He's he's played an awful lot of games at the highest level. Been brilliant in, at Sevilla, France international, twenty two years old, um, and as Don referred to, there are quite a few centre halves with only one year left on their contracts, and and Chelsea have to think about the future. Uh, Dom on Lukaku is he the the missing piece of the puzzle for this Chelsea team? Yeah, instinct would suggest that um, that they need a prolific number nine, somebody who can bully defenses, can get in behind as well with with his bustling pace. And and Lukaku has all that. He also he has a pedigree, as Simon says, one hundred and thirteen goals in what two hundred and fifty two Premier League appearances for four clubs. 
he has unfinished business at Stanford Bridge. I think he, 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 when he, I remember when he arrived and his his first his first press conference back in when was that twenty eleven? Did he come in last time? That's right. Yeah, amazing. Ten years ago, but he was he was he was talking about growing up with posters of Didier Drogba on his bedroom wall and stuff like that, and he he idolised this Didier Drogba in particular in the same way that you know Liam idolises Kai Havertz. Um, <laughs> it's it's. I, I, I think he was frustrated it didn't work out there, but he was young. He was, he was raw. He was, he was, he maybe wasn't ready then. And, and, and he, he proved over time with those loans at West Brom and then Everton that, that he, he had plenty to offer in the Premier League. And it was really just circumstances and, and maybe Chelsea's transfer policy, um, concentrating on maybe some strikers that didn't quite work out in, in the way that they'd hoped that, that, that cost him a, uh, a sort of starring role or a certainly integral role in in the Chelsea first team and I think he'll come back hungry he'll come back he knows he knows the Premier League I mean I think that's a massive massive advantage I mean I'm, I'm not doubting Haaland's quality he's clearly very very good but they would inevitably be in a period of adjustment trying to get involved in, in a new league and, and, and Lukaku for that that won't be an option that won't be a problem for him he'll settle in immediately he knows London um, all, all these things are, are big factors in a uh, when when you're making such an investment in a, in a player and yeah and just giving the team a focal point up top and and an op- another option a, a main option that that might liberate your team Werners, it might liberate Kai Havertz it might offer them a, an opportunity to be a different kind of player it might take some of the pressure off Werner as well maybe that might benefit him so i think it's a it's a it's a good signing but then you know i'm a, a bit of a hypocrite to say that i'm you know i'm welcoming it because because i do I do look at Tammy Abraham and think, well, what does that leave you? Where, where are you going to go now? What, what's what's your future? Are you going to end up at another club in in North London? Or I mean, it's it's there 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 will be knock on effects for for players at the club that aren't as positive. I think there's a there's a chance, Liam, that that this could and please feel free to poo poo this, but I think this might actually work in Tammy Abraham's favour because if Chelsea are going to change the way they play and have a proper number nine up there. Lukaku's not going to play every game. So might Abraham actually end up getting more minutes than he has done when Chelsea are playing with a kind of false nine, three floaty players moving around? Or is that just incredibly optimistic and nonsensical? I think you're... I, I wouldn't be as harsh on you as you are on yourself, Matt. Um, <laughs> but I'm still but wrong. <laughs> I, I, I don't see that as particularly likely. I mean, to, to become at, as peripheral as he was for the last three months of last season and to be completely out of the loop when it came to that Champions League triumph. Tuchel couldn't have made it any clearer that Abraham is just not part of where he's taking this Chelsea team. Uh, And I I know Chelsea fans feel very differently about that. Abraham's a very polarising player among the fan base. I think he's got a lot of talent and will become a top Premier League striker in time. I just don't think Chelsea are of the opinion that they have that time um, and Tuchel is clearly not prepared to give him that time. You know, everything about what's happened suggests that he won't be at Chelsea by the time the transfer window closes. There's And there's every incentive for all parties to to make sure he's he's somewhere else and, and playing. But it's, it's, a, it's a thorny one because who has the money to go and buy him? You know, you're seeing links with Atalanta, this kind of triangle of Lukaku to Chelsea, Duvan Zapata to Inter, Tammy Abraham to to Atalanta. And you could say, oh, 
Marina Granovskaya is playing four-dimensional chess, creating the market for the striker she doesn't want by signing the striker she does. But does Tammy Abraham want to go to Atalanta? Can they afford his wages? Can anyone else in the Premier League actually put the money on the table for Tammy Abraham that Chelsea have been asking for? You know, Aston Villa were in that conversation for a while. They've just signed Danny Ings. So the, the list of suitors seems vanishingly short for, for what is a talented player, but in a who who I think has lost quite a bit of value, um, at least perceived value in the last few months because of what's happened with Tuchel. And it, it, I think it's just quite a complicated situation now for, for everyone. Tammy Abraham can look at Romelu Lukaku and sort of go, oh, I'm in the same position he was 10 years ago. And perhaps it's best for me, might not come back, of course, but Lukaku has gone on from strength to strength having left Chelsea. And I do think it's the right move for him. And don't forget, uh, Liam's just mentioned uh, Danny Ings. Well, Southampton now need a replacement for Danny Ings. So he could join the Southampton exodus. <laughs> uh, yeah, plenty more moves to come in and out, I'm sure. Transfer window closes 11pm on the 31st of August. Uh, we're winding up now. Let's hear what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Dom, you've got a piece on Paul Pogba. Yeah, I, I contributed to a piece that Danny Taylor wrote on on Pogba and how he's perceived him in France in anticipation of that being... Um, it's always been forgotten, hasn't it, the, the sort of transfer saga around Pogba and his future. But he's uh, there. there is obviously an issue there with a year to run on his contract and what happens to him at United. Um, I've also... On the same theme, I'm doing a piece on what it's like to be inside a transfer saga, inside a long-running, um, protracted move. Um, you know the relationships between board and player and manager and uh, teammates, etc., which will run later this week, hopefully. All right, Simon, you mentioned your latest Lukaku piece. I guess that's kind of your focus until he signs or doesn't sign. Yeah, but I'm also trying to put together a piece on what Tuchel's been trying to do, what he's been like around the place in pre-season. Of course, this is his first pre-season at Chelsea. First time he's had a concerted time with with players, albeit at the top of the show, as we were saying, not a lot of the players that he actually wants to work with. But even so, it's 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 interesting to sort of see what he's like when he does have time in his hands. What is he doing? Is he working on new things, etc., etc.? So that's hopefully a piece that will we'll run next week. How about you, Liam? I've been working on um, a Romelu Lukaku piece about how he's evolved as a player and evolved different aspects of his game and how Chelsea might be getting back a, a slightly different and certainly improved striker to, well, definitely the one that left Chelsea for Everton. Um, but perhaps even the one that left England for Inter. Um, so we're not sure yet if we'll if we'll run that as and when the deal might be completed or slightly before, but that will be with you soon, I'm sure. And last but not least, I interviewed Kai Havertz this week. Were you allowed to do it face-to-face or did the restraining order Uh-oh. prohibit that? <laughs> did you know that was happening? <laughs> You're doorstepping. He's not allowed within 10 miles of Cobham. <laughs> We did it on Zoom and um, I'm reliably informed, or at least he, he, he did a good impression of someone who was vaguely enjoying the conversation. Um, we we watched a few clips of his game 
uh, at Chelsea and, and a few clips of Leverkusen as well, kind of breaking down different aspects of what he does on the pitch and just talking yeah, more broadly about how he fits into this Chelsea team, talk to him about Mason Mount, Timo Werner, so that lots of stuff in there. I also got an explanation from him about why he's always worn the number 29, which was something I was wanting to know. So that, that will be with you on Friday on The Athletic. If only people could see the glow. The glow, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Athletic.com slash ChelseaPod is the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. And whilst we're plugging stuff, from next week, Straight Out of Cobham will be twice weekly. New shows dropping every Monday and Thursday, as well as the chat. Some of the new faces will be dropping in. More info to come as the season rolls on the Thursday show is going to be a little bit looser slash silly uh, in that spirit to finish I thought we could pick a Chelsea player past or present most likely to succeed at an Olympic event that is not football uh, Simon who have you picked <laughs> I feel really mean but I've got to go for it I've gone for Timo Werner to enter the diving because uh, <laughs> he's very good at winning penalties and, and and he does it in a very artistic fashion. Um, although there are Premier League rules um, coming in um, with VAR, etc., where the slightest contact, um, uh, you, you won't get given these penalties anymore. But yeah, it sounds a bit harsh, but let's just say that Werner does have a tendency to fall a bit easily. So I, I think he'd be quite good with a... Perhaps he could combine with Tom Daly and, and, uh, and win a German uh, Great Britain gold... Uh, Combo that was doubly mean. That was doubly mean because not only have you picked him for the diving, you've not picked him for the shooting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for the safety of the uh, watching public on that one. <laughs> uh, Liam, who did you go for? Um, Diego Costa, judo, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he'd be, yeah, I think a pretty, pretty much a shoe in for gold, maybe at any weight class. And mine's fairly similar to that. How about you, Dom? I've got a few. I've had a really quiet week. You've really thought about this, haven't you? <laughs> uh, they're not very good, any of them. Andre Shevchenko, Ramirez, and Angolo Conte for the sevens. You have very to good. Think about squad numbers. I've looked at the definition of show pony, and it's apparently a stylish or flamboyant person, especially a, t- a performer who enjoys being in the limelight. So you could do Eden Hazard for that. You could do canoe or kayak slalom, requires a low centre of gravity and ability to twist and turn around awkward corners. So you could do Eden Hazard for that. I had Torres, Morata and Werner for the shooting and Winston Bahade for the golf, given, you know, he's got a lot of time on his hands. (laughs) Very good. Uh, I also went for Hazard. I can't believe nobody's picked this. Obviously the Greco-Roman wrestling with that massive posterior. How's anybody going to ever take him down? Guaranteed gold medal for Belgium. That's my favourite. <laughs> well, that was fun. Uh, many thanks to the gents for their efforts today. Also to producer Lucy for doing the hard graft and mainly though to you, listener. On Monday, we'll build up to the Super Cup final and more. Do join us for that if you can. Until then, it's goodbye. The Athletic.